0: Good morning everyone, good to see you all. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we're going to be today. Does anybody need a, a handout if you didn't get one? i just going to put them up here. If you didn't get one, you can come grab one. And then obviously the PowerPoint will be up here on the screen. Alright, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and... I think we're ready to go. So let me, uh, let me pray for us, okay? And then we'll start. God, you are good and kind, and we're so thankful that as your body, we get to gather together each week to worship you and, and to see each other and encourage one another, to serve one another. I pray that you would bless us as we studied this morning your word, that it would be clear to us and that we would uh, desire to live out the things that we learn uh, so that we can better reflect you and your honor. We thank you for all these things in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to talk a lot about unity and diversity. Now, if you hear those two words right now in our country, you think they don't go together, right? Diversity has gotten a bad rap over the last several years, primarily because the people that are championing it uh, misunderstand what it should be and the goodness of diversity and try and put up a false uh, pretense around that. Rather, we would all agree in principle that unity with diversity together is a good thing. I'll give you an example. You have football games going on this afternoon. All of those football teams, they have an owner, his job is to pay for things. You have a head coach, his job is to plan for things. You have a quarterback, his job is to throw things in the right place, right? And if the offensive lineman decides that he wants to be the coach or he wants to be on defense, the whole thing is gonna fall apart. They're one team, but there are many members of that team and they're all trying to function in their role for the good of the team. You see the same thing in a corporation. You have people that are in tech and in finance and in the legal department and in HR, and you have the janitors. And when all those you know, roles get mixed up, the corporation fails. You even see this in your own family, right? You have a mom and a dad and kids and maybe grandkids, and you know, whether you tell them or not, that your kids are not the same. Your grandkids are not the same. You're all one family, but everyone has their distinct role to play. You see, unity with diversity is actually a good thing. When we come to First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is going to use spiritual gifts. This is one of the questions the Corinthians had asked, and he's going to use that. And the first thing that he's going to talk about in chapter 12 is how we are misunderstanding the way the body functions, the body of Christ. And so we need to think well about that because you and I usually would say unity and diversity is a good thing, but when it comes down to it, We're all tempted to think that the world would be a better place and the church would be a better place if everyone thought and acted a little bit more like me, right? (laughs) Isn't that the temptation? (laughs) The problem is obviously that everyone else is not doing their job as well as I'm doing mine. And Paul is going to remind us that a proper understanding of diversity and unity together is essential for understanding spiritual gifts, which we'll cover in the next couple weeks. So, for our theme this morning, let's say it this way. Spiritual gifts display both the unity and diversity of the body of Christ. He's going to use spiritual gifts really as an example in one way, even though he's addressing this issue, that these show us both the unity and diversity of the body of Christ. So, let's go ahead. If you have your Bible, we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 together. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit." Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit." And to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, and to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason, any the less, a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason, any the less, a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary... It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. Now, when we come to 1 Corinthians 12, we're talking about unity and diversity, and how spiritual gifts show both the unity and diversity of the body of Christ. So the first section, the first 13 verses, we're going to see how spiritual gifts highlight our unity in the Spirit. Spiritual gifts highlight our unity in the Spirit. And you say, how do you know that is the theme of the first 13 verses? Because he uses the word spirit 11 times and he uses the word same and one 13 times. So we are talking about one spirit, our unity in the Spirit. Now verse one, he says, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now, concerning, that's the code word in Paul's writing for he's changing subjects. Remember, we saw uh, back in chapter 7 concerning your questions about marriage, chapter 8 concerning the food offered to idols, here in chapter 12 concerning spiritual gifts, when we get to chapter 16, he's going to say concerning the collections for the saints, and so we're changing topics. So the next three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, we're going to be focusing in on this topic of spiritual gifts. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Well, what is that? Well, I'll just give you a simple definition off the top of my head. Spiritual gifts are, are the, the unique abilities that the Holy Spirit gives to every Christian at the time of their conversion for their use in the body of Christ. So, so you have natural talent. Some of us can sing. Some of us can throw a football and so on and so forth. You get spiritual gifts talents if you will spiritual abilities when you are born again in Christ the holy spirit gives them to you so that you can use them serving the church and paul says concerning these things brethren i do not want you to be unaware he said that a couple times in corinthians this is important it is not okay for you to be ignorant of this issue it's too important to ignore so the first thing that he says how do we know that we're talking about our unity in the spirit what what do spiritual gifts have to do with our unity in the spirit So Paul's going to give five arguments for that. First, he says, By the Spirit, we all have the same confession. We are unified in the Spirit by the same confession. Verse 2, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols however you were led. These mute idols, these pagan idols that they would worship, right? In Psalm 115, 4, it says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 18, What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions a speechless idol. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake, and to a mute stone, arise. Jeremiah 10.5 says, like a scarecrow in a field are they. They cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. Paul says, remember, remember when you used to worship these pagan idols? They didn't do anything for you. They didn't produce anything for you. They couldn't even talk to you and tell you things. He says, but you were led away. You, you were led away and enticed to worship these things. But not anymore, right? Remember 1 Corinthians 6.11, such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry says, it is of good use to the Christian to think what once he was. When you're struggling in your spiritual life, when you're struggling in your Christian life, remember what you used to be, praise God that he's the one that changed you from that to what you are now, and then ask for help to continue to grow, right? It is a good thing for us to remember ever so briefly what we used to be knowing that we are not that way anymore. Verse 3, he goes on, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. Warren Wiersbe says, any so-called spirit manifestation that robs a person of self-control is not of God because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, right? Galatians 5. These people, when they were worshiping pagan idols, were involved in these horrible, demonic, maybe even drug and alcohol-induced rants, and they would say things And some of the things they might say were things like a curse on Jesus, or we would say in English, Jesus be damned. And he says, just so you know, there is no possible way that that kind of worship is from the Spirit of God. It's not, because no one can say that by the Spirit of God, and on the other hand, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. You guys remember 1 John 4, verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Or Romans 10, 9 says it more succinctly, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus, he is the great indicator of being a Christian or not. Okay? If you miss on Jesus, you are not a Christian, and you cannot be a Christian without knowing that Jesus alone is Lord. One of the commentaries says that it appears that some in Corinth were claiming that the test of the Spirit was this tongue speaking that we're going to talk about in chapter 14. But Paul forcibly establishes at the outset that the only real test of the presence of the Spirit of God is the conviction and confession that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, that is our common confession. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in your life at one point in your life brought you to a point where you recognized you were a sinner and you needed a Savior, and Jesus is Lord. Okay, The Spirit combines us, unifies us with our same confession. Secondly, we're unified in the Spirit. We see this through our same empowering, the same empowering, verses 4 to 6. There are varieties or, or differences or divisions of gifts, these gifts, the, these grace gifts, they are favors given to you by God through the Spirit. These, these talents that you have, spiritual talents for using in the church, there's a variety of them. Romans 12.6 says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. 1 Corinthians 12.5 going on, there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There's a variety of, of ways to use your gifts. The, the ministries, the services, the place that you can utilize those are different. But we have the same Lord. Verse 6, there are a variety of effects. That is, uh, what your ministry does and the, the product of it and what your, your gifts produce as you serve is different. And yet we have the same God. The same God who works all things in all persons. So you notice that, that we are unified even though we're different. And so we have the same, uh, notice in verse 4, the same spirit, verse 5, the same Lord, verse 6, the same God. That is Pauline's shorthand for the Trinity, right? The Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father. Us having spiritual gifts is a Trinitarian act. God, in his triunity, has given us gifts to use. And notice it says, the same God who works all things in all persons. God is the one who energizes your gifts. He's the one that gives it power. And so in Philippians chapter two, Paul tells us that God is at work in you for your sanctification to make you more holy like Jesus Christ. But here he says that God is at work in you, giving you spiritual gifts so that you use those for the good of the church. And so if you ever have a gift, spiritual gift, and it actually kind of works when you go to serve other people, And it produces something kind of good and encouraging for them. Know that that wasn't you. God is the one who energizes and gives power to your gifts and the way you serve and the product that comes from that. God is the one who is working in us. So we are unified in the Spirit with a confession, with our same empowering. We all have these gifts from God working in us. Third, our spiritual gifts, we're unified in the Spirit because our spiritual gifts have the same purpose. Look at verse 7. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each one is, is given. Every single one, each one, every single true believer in Jesus Christ is given. One of these gifts is given. I love how it says the manifestation or, or the demonstration, the disclosure of the Spirit. You now, I was telling my Young marrieds group uh, on, on Friday night that sometimes people say, you know, we want to feel the Spirit moving, and us in, you know, our frozen chosen, you know, Bible church, we're like, yeah, that sounds a little mystical for us. We don't like to talk about the Spirit moving. Well, you need to because the Bible says it, right? The manifestation, the demonstration of the Spirit, the Spirit moving among us is what? It's not some crazy experience. It's when we use our gifts for the common good. It's when you use what the Spirit has given you for everyone else. Notice he says, each one is given the demonstration, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common Good. 1 Peter 4.10 says as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Or Ephesians 4 tells us that those who are given as pastor teachers are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of service so that, notice, as the saints do the work of service, it is building up the body of Christ. There's a reason the Holy Spirit gave you spiritual giftedness. Do you know what it is? It's not for you. It's for everyone else. It's for the common good. Literally, it means the the benefit we have from coming together. You see, if you have spiritual giftedness, and if you're a Christian, you do, and you're not using it in the context of the church, one, you're just disobeying a clear command that you should do that, but two, we aren't benefiting from your spiritual giftedness. You say, well, uh, you don't need me. Well, we're going to get there, okay? But regardless, your gift has a purpose. It's for serving for the common good of others. Matthew Henry, this is a little bit of a longer quote, but it's really good. Listen, Matthew Henry says, "'Whatever gifts God confers on any man, "'he confers them that he may do good with them. "'Spiritual gifts are bestowed that men may with them "'profit the church and promote Christianity. "'They are not given for show.'" but for service, not for pomp and ostentation, for edification, not to magnify those that have them, but to edify others. Your giftedness, whatever the Spirit has given you, is for the good of others, for the common good. We're unified because we have a common purpose in our gifts. Number four, we're unified in the Spirit. We have unity in the Spirit because our gifts come from the same source. Now there's a list here in verses 8 to 10 of of several spiritual gifts. We also see lists in Romans 12, Ephesians chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 gives us categories as well. There's another list down at the end of chapter 12 that we saw. But here in verses 8 to 10, it seems like there are three kind of categories. And now here's the one thing I really wish I didn't have to say this morning. I'm not going to get into at all the difference between temporary sign gifts and permanent edifying gifts. And if you don't know what that means, just track with me. We don't believe that some of these gifts in this chapter still function in the church today. And if you want books and resources on that, you want me to talk with you about that, I'd love to do that. I just don't have time to get in that issue at all. We are cessationists, as sad as that sounds, okay? These gifts, and I actually personally believe that all of the gifts in 8 through 10 are temporary gifts. They don't exist anymore in the church. But there's three categories. The first one is these first two. In verse 8, given the word of wisdom and to another the word of knowledge. Now again, because these don't exist in the church anymore, we don't know exactly what these things are. In fact, John Chrysostom, who lived in the late 300s, after uh, one of the early church fathers, he was lamenting in his writings that he didn't understand all of what these are because they had already been gone for a couple hundred years. And so here, in verse 8, a word of wisdom. Well, in Colossians 1... Paul says that he prays that they will be filled with the knowledge of his will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Often in the Bible, wisdom has to do with applying practical application of the truth of the word. Maybe it has something to do with that. But notice that it comes through the spirit. Another has the word of knowledge. Now, this is linked in chapter 13 and 14 with prophecy several times, so it's probably some kind of revelation from God, a new teaching that they didn't have. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament, okay? All of the things that we know from the New Testament, backwards and forwards, they didn't exist at this time, right? And so, a word of knowledge, maybe a new teaching of of the Scripture according to the same Spirit. Then there's a second category, and these seem to be those gifts that really confirm the message, Right? So it says another faith by the same spirit. Well, this isn't saving faith, obviously. Every Christian has saving faith. But this is some extra demonstration of faith. In chapter 13, it says something about faith that moves mountains. Maybe it's the faith that trusts God to, to take away enormous obstacles in the face of ministry. Maybe it has something to do with prayer. Acts 28 tells us that Paul went in and prayed before he healed someone. Or maybe uh, it has to do with foretelling the future, believing God about the future. Acts 27, you remember when uh, Paul is on his way to Rome, and he's in the shipwreck, and he tells the men, God has told me that I will get to Rome, so if you do what I say, we will all survive and, and make it to the shore. And he says in Acts 27:25, therefore keep up your courage, men, and listen, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. Is that an expression of the gift of faith? I'm not sure, maybe so. To another, gifts of healings. In the Greek, gifts and healings are both plural. So it seems like, you remember in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sent out his disciples, it says they were able to heal every kind of disease. There was nothing stopping them. But it seems like, because it says gifts of healings, that at least in the early church, those who had this gifts were for certain kinds of diseases or injuries or things like that. And then in verse 10, it says the effecting of miracles or, or the working, the energizing of miraculous powers. Well, we can think of a lot of miracles in the New Testament that are healing, right? But what are the other miracles that the early church might have done? We're not sure. Remember in Acts 13, uh, Paul blinds the elemis, the magician, the false teacher for his unbelief. Uh, Maybe that's something like that. Or remember in Acts chapter 20 when Paul preached too long and the young man fell off the third story window and died. And Paul went down and and raised him from the dead. Technically, that's not healing. That's like another category of healing, right? So is that a miraculous power? Maybe. We're not sure. To another prophecy. Uh, Some people take this prophecy to mean something more akin to teaching, just explaining the word of God that they already had. I have a hard time with that, at least in this context. Prophecy throughout the Bible is someone who speaks from God directly on behalf of Him. And we see that in chapter 13, and we'll see it in 14 again. We'll talk more about that in the next few weeks. But I think this is new revelation from God coming to the men in the church. But notice that there's someone who prophesies, someone who speaks revelation, but then it says another, the distinguishing of spirits. See, these people, because they didn't have the whole New Testament to compare with, these people were given, by the, the grace of the Spirit, these were lu- human lie detectors, right? And when someone stood up and said, I have a word from God, and they would say it, because they didn't have the whole scripture to compare to, these people would have the gift to say, that's true, that came from God, or no, that's false, that came from a false spirit. We see this idea of discernment in Hebrews 5.14 and 1 John 4.1. And then there's a third category here in this list, and it has to do with tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, we're gonna talk a lot about tongues in a couple weeks when we get to chapter 14, so I'm not gonna belabor it here, but a couple things that are important to note. It says various kinds of tongues. First of all, the word tongues uh, in English, there are only two meanings for that word, okay? One is a physical tongue, and the other is a language, a way of speaking, okay? And it says kinds, and and that word kinds normally has to do with, with either countries, nations, certain ethnic groups, or even families. When you put those two things together, families of languages, we know what he's talking about. Some people speak English or Spanish or French or Mandarin or any number of dialects that I don't know what they are, right? But they're real languages that real people speak and understand. And so we'll talk in in a couple weeks more about tongues, but Acts chapter 2 is clear that when someone had the gifts of tongues and the interpretation of tongues, it had nothing to do with random ecstatic outbursts of language that no one understood. It was real language that the person speaking it hadn't studied to speak it, and now they can, or someone hadn't studied to understand it, and now they can, all right? So we'll come back to that in a couple weeks. But regardless, the point of that list is not the gifts, actually, which is funny because that's what we like to argue about is what the gifts are. But notice again, verse 8, through the Spirit, according to the same Spirit, by the one Spirit, by the same Spirit. What's the point of this list? It's not that the gifts are different or even what the gifts are. The point is that all of these gifts, verse 11, come from the same spirit, one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills, just as the spirit wills. His desire and intention is to bring these things to pass in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the source of our gifts, not you, not me. The Holy Spirit, when he saved us, gave us these spiritual gifts gifts and notice that that they're gifts he says they are gifts they're gifts that are verse 7 and 8 gifts that are given to us uh, verse 6 says that God is the one who works in us verse 11 says the spirit works in us and distributes these things you cannot be proud of your spiritual giftedness it didn't come from you 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 were there and God saved you and he gave you spiritual giftedness and this is this is the crazy part He gave different spiritual giftedness to the person on the other side of the room that you don't get along with so good. The same Spirit gave your spiritual giftedness and their spiritual giftedness. Are you thankful that we can have unity in the Spirit because even our different giftedness comes from the same source? Number five, our unity in the Spirit is demonstrated because we are in the same body. Verse 12, Even as the body is one and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. So he's using the illustration of a physical body. Like I used the illustration at the beginning of a corporation or a football team, the human body has different parts and pieces and members, right? You have skin and your nervous system and your stomach and your lungs, and they all do different things. And if any of them tried to do other things, that's when you end up in the hospital, right? Right? The body is one. You have one body, and yet it has many members. And so, also is Christ. That is Christ's body. Romans 12, 4. Just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, Romans 12, 5, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The Spirit unifies us because... At the moment of your salvation, Romans 6 tells us that you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you were baptized into his death, and you were made part of the body of Christ. We see that in verse 13. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And look at this. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. It didn't matter what your natural diversity was. Once you are in the body of Christ, you are unified together. Uh, you know we've got what fifty, sixty people in this room. We all come from all kinds of different places, look different, do different things. and yet we're all unified because the Spirit has baptized us into the body of Christ. And it says, we were all made to drink of one spirit. In John chapter seven, Jesus' is teaching, John 737, Jesus stood and cried out and saying, "If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me." As the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But then it says, verse 39, but this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. You, by being one with Christ, have have drunk of the one Holy Spirit. We are united together in him. Can, Can we praise God for a second that the body of Christ is made up of different kinds of people? You don't have to be a certain kind of person to get to be a Christian. The gospel is available to all, and all of our natural diversity is still here, and yet it's found unified in the body of Christ. It's amazing. And so, the first point that Paul has made is when we're thinking about spiritual gifts, he actually really hasn't gotten to spiritual gifts yet on what we're doing with them. But when it comes to spiritual gifts, the first thing you need to understand is we are one body. We are unified in spirit. We have to be together. Whatever we decide to do with our giftedness, we have to be together on this. Now he's going to transition to remind us that we're actually very different, okay? Spiritual gifts highlight our diversity in Christ's body. Spiritual gifts highlight our diversity in Christ's body. How do I know he's going to talk about our differences and being in Christ's body? Body is mentioned 18 times, and various members is mentioned 13 times. I think we're talking about how we're all different, okay? So let's walk through these pretty quickly. First, we find out in 14 to 19, God actually desires our diversity, He delights in us being different. And he has two arguments for this point. First, in 14 to 16, diversity does not negate unity. Just because we're different doesn't mean we can't be unified. Look at verse 14. The body is not one member, but many. But look in 15. If a foot says, I am not a hand, therefore I'm not a part of the body, It's not for this reason, any less the part of the body. Or maybe the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. You get into the body of Christ, and you're like, well, this isn't what I wanted to be. I didn't want to be an ear. I wanted to be an eye. Forget it. I don't want to be a part of the body anymore. And Paul says, yeah, you don't get to choose that. No, you're part of the body whether you think so or not, right? You are here, and this is the role that you've been given. And also, I think it's funny, he says, It is not for this reason, not by this, any less a part of the body. One, being different doesn't make you not part of the body. Just because you're not an ear or an eye or you're something different doesn't make you not part of the body. But also saying, I don't want to be a part of the body, also doesn't make you not part of the body. It just makes you angry. That's all. So stop that and remember that you're part of the body. See, being different doesn't negate the fact that we are one body if we're all in Christ, okay? So, uh, application there, if you think your spiritual giftedness is unimportant... Don't. Okay, that's wrong. Don't think that. And also don't think that you aren't a part of what God has made in the body and you aren't there because of how God made you. God made you exactly what he wants you to be. His second argument for this, God desires our diversity, is that unity doesn't have to mean uniformity. Unity doesn't mean sameness, okay? And so verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Or if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? He says, no, we're a body. We're not just one big eye. We're a body. We're not just one big ear, okay? Just because we are unified in the body doesn't mean that we're all the same thing, And that's good. And notice verse 18, God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Do you know why you're the way you are and why you're in the church you are? It's because God wants it that way. God has desired and built the body as he desires. It says he's, he's placed the members, very carefully put them in the right place. It, it's like when you were little and you were setting up your dollhouse or your action figures and, and you put each one in the right place to build whatever scene you were building, right? God has done that with the body. God has carefully put each one of you in the right place at the right time, in the right local body so that you can honor him and serve other people. God has built it the way he desires. In John 15, verse 16, Jesus says... You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. You see, God choosing you and making you the kind of Christian that you are is so that you can go and bear fruit for the gospel and be encouraging to the rest of the body of Christ. Or back in 1 Corinthians 3, we saw who are Apollos and Paul, their servants through whom you believed as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. You know why Paul is Paul? Because God wanted him to be that way. You know why Apollos was Apollos? Because God made him that way. God gave the opportunity. He has placed them in this way just as he desires. God delights and desires our diversity. He doesn't want us all to be the same. Also, this is a a little bit of an aside, but I was thinking, I think specifically here he's talking about local bodies of believers. He's writing to the church at Corinth. But this applies across the body of Christ, right? He's talking about the whole body of Christ, which means... That the, the true, good, healthy, biblical Christians at another church, they're different than you and me. And that's a good thing. Which means, if you extrapolate a little bit, that every biblical church is not going to look identical. They all have to have the same core priorities and the same core doctrines and those things. But the way that another church does a certain kind of ministry, even though they have ministry we don't even have here. And that's a good thing. Because they're not like us. They're different, and God desires our diversity. And He put countryside where He put countryside, and He put North Lake where He put North Lake, because He desires it that way, right? Our diversity is a good thing. Verse 19 If they were all one member, where would the body be? If we were all the same, there wouldn't be a body, right? God doesn't want us to be the same, He delights in our diversity. Secondly, we see that God designed our diversity. Now, we've already talked about this, how God is the one who chooses our gifts, but here I mean God made it this way for a reason, okay? He had good reasons for us being different. So, number one, we see in verses 20 to 22, so that we need each other. (laughs) Verse 20, there are many members but one body. We see this in Romans 12, like we talked about earlier, Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we are members of one another. There are many members, but one body. We're unified together, even though we're different. So that, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Aren't we tempted to think that when we're trying to do ministry with somebody and they're just not doing it right? And we say, you know what? Why don't you take a break? We don't need you right now. And Paul says, no, he literally, he says the, I cannot, you do not have the capacity to say, I don't need you. Why? Because it's not true. God made the body exactly as he desires it. And so if you look at somebody else and say, hey, you know what? We really don't need you here. You're lying. God says that you need them. Verse 22, on the contrary, uh, he says, on the contrary, how much more But how much more that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary? The ones that you like to think are weaker, they're necessary. Why? Because God put them there. You can't say that you don't need the other members of the body of Christ. You can't think that you're the one that can run everything. You don't need other people. It's not true. We need each other. God has made it that way. Matthew Henry says, God has so fitted and tempered them together that they are all necessary to one another And to the whole body, there is no part redundant and unnecessary. Every member serves some good purpose or other. It is useful to its fellow members and necessary to the good state of the whole body. God decided who we are and how we were different, and he put us all here together. We don't get to decide that that's not true. So in your own heart, are you recognizing the good thing that God has built here and and the need that you have for everybody else? right? I mean, let's be honest, like the only thing worse than the class we do have is if it was 60 of me, right? Like, what a terrible idea. No, we need each other. We need the differences of each other. Number two, God designed our diversity for a reason, and that's so that we would honor each other. Verse 23, those members of the body which we deem less honorable, we think aren't honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor our less presentable members become much more presentable uh, you know there are parts of your body that are often uncovered in your face and your hands right there are parts of your body that are almost always covered and your tiny little toes on a cold day like today are grateful that your hands did the work of putting socks and shoes on your toes right so they wouldn't freeze you see we have some Members that are more prominent, uh, he says in the next verse, more, more public, more exposed, and we have some that are not. Some, what does that mean in real life? What does it doesn't mean that we hide you away, but it means that there's some people in the church that have gifts and services that are more public, and some people that do a lot of service that are behind the scenes. Uh, maybe someone in this class probably comes up and serves at this church or in some other ministry here every week, and I don't know about it, and nobody but a couple people know about it, and that's how it's supposed to be. But it says that we should honor each other. The more presentable members, the ones who are up in front need to be careful to honor those who are serving behind the scenes. But I also think, back to my illustration of your hands caring for your feet, putting on shoes, that one, we need to honor each other. Both the behind the scenes people need to honor and respect those who are in front, and the in front people need to honor and respect those who are behind behind the scenes. But it also means that we care for each other. We we take care and we meet the needs of each other. It talks about how we bestow them more honor. We wrap them with honor. Well, what does that mean? It means that you're looking for ways to to make the other people's job easier. If you work behind the scenes, how can you do your ministry in such a way that the in-front people have an easy job? If you're up in front, how can you do your job in such a way that people behind the scenes have an easy job? How can you work together and serve each other in that way? It also means that if you are a quote-unquote less presentable member, the one that works behind the scenes, the thing that you shouldn't do is go after your own honor, Hey, if I just really loud about how I do stuff behind the scenes, somebody will appreciate me. You know, I think we're all old enough in this room that we woke up one time in our life and our shoulder hurt for no reason, right? And all day, all you can think about is your shoulder. You're like, what is going on, right? Well, your shoulder isn't functioning well by reminding you that you have a shoulder, right? It's functioning well when you forget that you have a shoulder and it just does its job. If you're in one of those behind-the-scenes ministries, the most helpful thing you can do is do your behind-the-scenes ministries as well as you can. And if you're in a front of person, in front of people ministry, do it as well as you can and honor those who are doing the behind-the-scenes ministries. But don't just remind each other of how important your ministry is to everyone else, right? Notice in verse 25, God designed it this way. God designed our diversity for the reason that we would care for each other so that there would be no division in the body. We've seen this already in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Chapter 11, it came up again, talking about the Lord's table, that there be, may be no division in the body, but that the members literally have concern for one another or worry over each other. That's fascinating. God made us all different so that you would care about each other, so that we would have concern for each other and worry about each other and say, what can I do to help you? One commentary said how revolutionary these words are. The poor and the weak are not inclined to feel any concern for the rich and powerful, but rather to resent them. And equally, the powerful tend not to spare too much thought for the weak. Moreover, they would find it remarkable if the poor and weak felt or showed anxiety for them. You see that? When's the last time you, maybe you're a behind the scenes person, when's the last time you went up to one of the up front people and said, hey, I'm, I'm worried about you. What can I do for you? How can I meet needs for you? How's your life? How's your marriage? How are your kids? How's your finances? What can I be praying for you about? You give somebody a heart attack saying stuff like that. Or what if one of the in front people went down and talked to one of the behind the scenes people and said, hey, you guys doing okay? How can we, what can we do to serve you guys? That's different. And that's what the body of Christ is designed to be, right? We care and have concern for each other. Warren Wiersbe said, Diversity leads to disunity when the members compete with one another. But diversity leads to unity when the members care for each other. So how can you work hard to care for other people in the body, especially those who have different kinds of gifting than you, or more gifting than you or less? How can we serve each other? Number four, God's designed it this way so that we feel for each other. Notice verse 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I was an ICU nurse for several years, and I can tell you from experience that you can take care of someone well and with compassion and not feel for them, (laughs) I did that most days of my life. When I would leave the hospital, I left them in good hands, I took good care of them, and then I would leave, and my heart was not engaged. It's different when it's your own loved one in the hospital bed, right? You care in a whole different way. Your heart is engaged. A warning to us that we don't serve in the body and take care of each other without our hearts being there, right? We actually want to feel for each other. When someone's having a good day, when someone's having a bad day, your heart should be tender and caring for that person, Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Which brings us to the third piece here, spiritual gifts highlighting our diversity in Christ's body. God desires our diversity. He delights in that. God designed our diversity for good reasons. And now in the last section, we see that God determines our diversity. God is the one who chooses. And so look at verses 27 and 28. You are gifted how God chooses. Verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. You see, you are not your body. It is not my body. We are all Christ's body. He's the head. He's the one who is in charge. We are simply members of it. Ephesians 5.30. We are members of his body. 1 Corinthians 1228, God, Paul goes on, and God has appointed. You see, where does our diversity come from? Is it just because, you know, that's just how I was raised? No. Because when God saved you, God appointed, He chose, He determined what your diversity in the body of Christ would look like because of your spiritual giftedness. And notice there's a different list of gifts here. He talks about apostles, prophets, and teachers, first, second, and third. What is the first, second, and third about? Well, it seems that it has to do with levels of authority. The apostles were the ones who were the foundation of the church with the prophets. We see that in Ephesians 2.20 and Ephesians 3.5. But then you get to teachers, and in Ephesians 4.11, it says that God had, had offices. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelisms and evangelists, and some as pastor-teachers. And so these teachers, these pastor teachers, the elders in the church, have this under-shepherd authority that Christ has given them. And he says, first, second, third, levels of authority, and then everything else. We all have different giftedness that we use in context of the church. Miracles, we talked about earlier, gifts of healings, helps, he adds here. That has to do with serving and meeting the practical needs of other people. Acts 20, verse 35 says that we are to help the weak, administrations this is an interesting one it has to do it's actually the word for a pilot or a shipmaster it's used that way in acts 27:11 and revelation 18:17 but the idea is leadership the one who's in charge of setting the direction for the ship and so romans 12 calls this leadership the one who leads with diligence and then again he brings up various kinds of tongues Remember, here's the application, remember that this is not your body. It's Christ's body, and therefore, Christ has the authority to decide how it's going to look. Christ decides who gets what gifts, and you're like, you know, this church would be so much better off if that guy wasn't in charge. Forgetting that that guy is the one that Christ gifted with leadership and teaching ability. Yeah, okay. Now, character qualities come into play. We can talk about that from the epistles and so on. But when it comes down to it, God, Christ, has designed his body how he desires, and we don't get to think better than God about how the church is built, right? Secondly, God determines our diversity. So, one, we need to remember that we're gifted how God chooses. Two, we need to remember that we won't have every gift. This long list all are not apostles, all are not prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, gifts of healing, speak with tongues, interpret. The reality is that it is obvious to the church and it should be obvious to you that everyone does not have every gift, which means that if God chooses who is going to be gifted in a certain way, he is also by necess- by necessity choosing who will not be gifted in that certain way, right? So you say, "Hey, I, I thought I was going to get to be an apostle." Well, we got bigger problems, okay? "I thought I was going to get to be a teacher." And we say, "Not all are teachers." We all have different gifts. And that's a good thing. That's how it should be. And we shouldn't expect that we all get to do everything. But with that in mind, we have one last closing statement in verse 31. Paul says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now, I'm over time, but I need to say a couple things about this because Aaron will attest that I've been miserable this week trying to figure out what this is. And I'm like 90% confident of what I'm about to say. Okay, so here we go. Earnestly desire the greater gifts. This could mean one of two things. Well, first, what does it say? Earnestly desire, that has the idea of being zealous or even being jealous. In chapter 13, he's going to say love is not jealous. It's not after its own, okay? It can also be zealous in a good thing, earnestly desiring something, how they've translated it here. The greater gifts, the, the bigger, it's the word mega, great, it could be even loud gifts. Okay, what are those? And these, these grace gifts, the spiritual giftedness. Now, what are they? There's two options here, and I think they're both good options, but I'm going to try to land on one, okay? The first option is you could translate this as not a a command, but a statement. Paul is saying, you are earnestly desiring the bigger gifts. You are jealous, he'd be saying it negatively, you are jealous of the bigger gifts and wanting the gifts that you shouldn't have. That is possible. I think there's good arguments for that, and saying, like he said earlier in the chapter, you don't get to decide what your gifts are, and you don't need to make a ruckus because you didn't get what you want. We need to be humble and honor each other. The second way to take this, which I think is probably the right way, and I reserve the right to change my mind between now and teaching chapter 14 in a couple weeks, is that he's saying, earnestly desire these greater gifts. What are they? Well, you can't be an apostle because you weren't there to see the risen Lord, but you can't be a prophet because that was new revelation from Christ. Now we have the completed canon. This teacher idea, the idea of being one with authority and being leading in the church Earnestly desire the greater gifts. Why? Because when we get to chapter 14, he's going to talk about how tongue speaking isn't good for the whole church necessarily, but prophesying and teaching is. Certain gifts have more influence necessarily because of the amount of people that those gifts serve. And so I think what he's saying here is you are perfectly okay. He says, look, not everyone gets to be a teacher. Not everyone gets to do different things. And you say, but I wanted to be a teacher. He says, well, you may not get to but you can desire to do those things. You say, well, why would we desire and strive after gifts if you just said God decides what our gifts are? Here's the answer, I think. My daughter Lindsay is four months old. The things that she will be naturally good at are baked into her DNA. Whether she will be tall or short or fast, or she'll be smart or be able to carry a tune in a bucket, that's, that's in her. God has made her a certain way. But she doesn't know what it is yet. I don't know what it is yet. Why? Because she hasn't had time to grow and mature and try different things. So for us, you say, well, how do I know if I'm gifted to be a teacher? Well, if you're new in the faith or if you haven't tried to serve in a lot of different ministries or things like that, you may not know the full potential of what your spiritual giftedness is. And so you need to work hard at that, practice, do different kinds of service so that you can see what your giftedness is. And it might turn out you do have a gift for teaching or for leading or doing something different that you didn't know you had. Or it might turn out you try, you know, you you come to the teaching practice thing and you sit there and teach for us and you say, I please don't ever make me do that again, and we say, Okay. Or you teach and we say, Please don't ever do that again, and you say, okay, right? And that's okay. But you might not have spiritual giftedness that you just haven't discovered yet, and so it's okay for you to desire other giftedness and to work towards that as long as you have the right attitude, which brings us to the last point which is you can desire for greater gifts in the right way. And that is what Bo is going to talk about next time in chapter 13. Because if you and your giftedness is not wrapped up in love for other people and love for God, you are going to do it wrong. Okay, But rather, we can actually desire to use whatever giftedness we have, and maybe more giftedness than we think we have, for the benefit of Christ's body. All right, One last Matthew Henry quote because it's really good, and then we're going to be done, okay? Matthew Henry says this, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? This were to make the church a monster, all one, as if the body were all ear or all eye. No, some are fit for one office and employment, and some for another, and the Spirit distributes to everyone as he will. We must be content with our own rank and share if they be lower and less than those of others. We must not be conceited of ourselves and despise others if we are in the higher rank and have the greater gifts. Every member of the body is to preserve its own rank and do its own office, and all are to minister to one another and promote the good of the body in general, without envying or despising or neglecting or ill-using any particular member. Listen to this. How blessed a constitution were the Christian church if all the members did their duty. You see we're unified, we're united in Christ, in Christ's spirit, but we're all different. And that's exactly how God has designed it. And how blessed a constitution were the Christian church if we all did our duty, right? Let's pray together. God, you are good and kind, and thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder that we are in your body, We pray that we would function well according to what you have given us through your spirit, that we would use our spiritual giftedness, not for our own benefit, but for the common good, the good of others, and that we would remember that you have designed your body exactly how you desire it, and so that you would get all the glory. We thank you for this in your name. Amen.